So this is crazy to be here because I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. That's right. I see some of the Bass Pro hats. Dude, being in Dallas, Texas, people wear the Bass Pro hats. I'm like, no, y'all, y'all have no idea. You're posers because the OG Bass Pro is on Campbell in Springfield, Missouri. And it takes up two city blocks. You're like, that's right, Bass Pro, Dallas suckers. They have no idea. And I tell them, I'm like, you know how it has like, there's, there's like special needs parking. And maybe at a grocery store, they might have pregnant mother parking. I'm like, Bass Pro has fishermen parking. Like if you need to drop in, good allure and bomb, bomb out real quick. That's amazing. I still respect that. But I want to tell you about a little bit of my journey from Springfield to Dallas and back here tonight. And so to do that, I wanna show you something pretty insignificant. It's, it's a penny. And I guarantee you somebody throughout today literally walked by a penny on the ground. They're so insignificant that we don't even pick them up anymore. And yet they're so significant that Jeff Bezos' bank account, richest man in the world, I guarantee you is down to the very last cent. In fact, all of his wealth is simply amassed by single pennies, and yet we walk by them. It's kind of crazy, right? That he would count all of his money down to the single penny and we would pass by every single time. And so something of relative insignificance when amassed is actually incredibly significant. And then the other thing about a penny, and I don't know on this one, it's got a D. Under the year on any penny, you'll find something significant. It's a mark of authenticity. The mark of authenticity tells you that it is real, that it's not counterfeit, that this was actually minted and that it has value according to the U.S. government. It's a mark of authenticity. The D stands for Denver. Yours might say P for Philadelphia. It may say CC for Carson City, wherever that is. But it's got a mark of the mint saying this is legit. Now, I've got a mark of authenticity. My mark of authenticity is a tattoo. I'm gonna get real with y'all. Anybody else got a tattoo in the room? Dude, tattoo people are funny. They're like, woo, yeah! There's like subculture Christian tattoos. Anybody got a tattoo they regret? Like, oh man, that was, that was a mistake. What about you, Matt? Sounds like that might have been a part of your journey. You're like, hey, you're telling your story, not mine. I was wasted on 6th Street in Austin, Texas one night and the girl that I was with, I gave her a nickname. Her nickname was Kitten. And so I walked into the tattoo parlor. It took about one and a half seconds to make this decision. I was like, get me the tattoo Kitten right here. You can guess where it was. I'm on right backside. But that wasn't enough. I was like, you know what? Put a little cat paw beside it. <laughs> now I'm getting real with y'all. Mark of authenticity. Now, years later, I'm uh, dating my wife. I'm trusted in Christ, I'm there. First meet the parents <laughs> in Dallas. I'm a seminary student and um, I'm like, meet the parents, got my best foot forward. And no joke, my, my future father-in-law says to his daughter, my that time girlfriend, oh, hey, by the way, kitten, your taxes are ready. Here they are. I was like, <laughs> for about that long. And she was like, what? And I'm like, nothing. I just, I'm surprised your dad still does your taxes. Like, that's weird. And then like, you know, 
sometime before we got married, because I like, didn't want to drop that on our, on our honeymoon, like on our wedding night, be like, man, there's something I didn't tell you. So I told her. I would have been so furious if that would have been flipped. I'd have her lasered that thing off. Instead, she's like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And she was like, I'm like, you want me to get covered? She's like, no, no, don't get covered. One, it's going to keep you humble. Two, that's, that's part of your story. Jesus saved you. You didn't used to be a good person. And I don't love you because of your past. I love you because of your present and who Jesus has made you to be. So don't get it covered up. Now, on a staff retreat, I don't know if Josiah, you guys, how'd you like hearing from Josiah Jones last night, by the way? I don't think Josiah was on staff yet. I like, I tried to recruit him for a couple of years. He finally said yes. And not on my team, which was super uncomfortable. We're still working through it. Twice, twice I have asked him to join my team. Uh, Going out to a staff retreat, I was like, I gotta gotta fix that tattoo. Because we're all having challenges to see who would do the weirdest thing. And so I changed it from kitten to written. Because I'm like, what do you do with the word kitten? So I changed it to written. Because written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But, but then people were like, well, what are you going to do with the cat paw? And I was like, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't know. And somebody was like, I got it. The Lion of Judah. So that's what it is. And that is my mark of authenticity. That's me getting real with you guys to show you that I'm not being fake. That's who I am. Now, growing up in Springfield, I can tell you, I could drive you to my house on Beaumont. It's down by Galloway Station. You guys know where Galloway Station is? Yeah, you shouldn't. What are you doing down at Galloway Station? Down at that pub late night. I used to shut that thing down. Uh, We lived near Galloway Station on Beaumont Street. I remember sitting literally on the back steps, three or four-year-old kid sipping on a Coors. Not even a Coors Light, like the old kind of tan can. Sipping on a Coors that my dad, I was like, what does that taste like? Tasted it. Burned into my mind, like kind of that earthy, fizzy, not sweet taste. By junior high, I was coming back from school, home alone. My mom was a kindergarten teacher at Pershing. Anybody go to Pershing? One person, congrats, Pershing Generals. That's so statistically impossible, that's weird. And I would like get into the, the back, way back. My parents weren't drinkers, but like on New Year's, they, they might make some like Bellini or something. I'm back there like digging through, and I find like the old spiced rum in this blue crystal decanter. It was nasty cream de caco, like all the stuff. And I'm just making mixed drinks by myself at like 3.30, junior high. I remember staring at Sports Illustrated magazines and people were like, oh yeah, swimsuit edition, me too. That, that was my gateway into porn. And I'm like, well, that too. But what I'm talking about is I would stare at those black, I remember all black advertisement with a golden highball glass of scotch on a couple of cubes of ice just fascinated by it. It was the sin that I was just like lured into, drawn to. I remember I I was driving here actually and I look over and I see the Brown Derby. You guys know what Brown Derby is? Some of you were like, you you didn't say yes even though you know yes. Dude, Brown Derby was like, that was like my my pusher. Like that's where we would go. This, This like, I mean that logo means something to me. And by the time I graduated high school, listen to this, I was, I was in fellowship of Christian athletes, captain of the soccer team, and so that's what we did. I was a part of K-Life, which is kind of like Young Life. It's like this Christian high school organization. 
dating the homecoming queen at Kickapoo High School, was just like, had it all put together on the outside, doing the right things with this Christian veneer, because we're smack dab in the Bible Belt. And yet, literally in my closet is liquor that I would go to gas stations. This, this is a weird thing, too. In Springfield, maybe in all of Missouri, you can buy liquor. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but you can buy liquor 24-7. Like you, so I would just wait until my parents went to bed, jump in my old Bronco, drive the streets of Springfield, and buy liquor from these gas station attendants that wouldn't card me, put it in my truck, drive back to my house. Like, you don't have to, like, I don't have to tell you anymore to tell you I was an alcoholic. Went down to Baylor University, and what accountability I had here at home was gone, and I graduated from Baylor a functional alcoholic. Now, I didn't know I was an alcoholic because I got a good job. I wasn't, like, sleeping in the ditch as a homeless guy. I was, like, had a good job, held every office in the fraternity. Things weren't, like, falling apart at the seams, and yet, I mean, I walked the stage half drunk. Used to party at MSU. And I heard two things when I was a kid. Here, in this town. One, I heard sin leads to death. And I was like, no, no, it doesn't. That's a scare tactic by a pastor. Sin doesn't lead to death. Nobody, nobody dies because they get drunk, sleep with their girlfriend, get high, look at porn. It's just not true. Sin doesn't lead to death. The other thing that I heard was, there's freedom in Christ. And I'm like, no, no, actually, there's anything but freedom. He keeps me from doing everything I want to do with my girlfriend, with my body, with my mind, with drugs and alcohol, there's anything but freedom. It's bondage. Because everything I want to do, he says, no, it's not freedom. And then at the age of 30 in Austin, Texas, having, uh, you know, the, the girl that I was with that I've got the tattoo still, found out that she was with one of my friends, like long term. So I loaded my 12-gauge shotgun, called my friend 100 times. I'm like, you're dead, and then I'm dead. I don't want to spend life in prison. I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to kill myself. And while I was calling, trying to find him, he lied and said he was out of the country, which was good for both of us. I, 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 I put the shell into the chamber, flipped off the safety, and put it to my head to see if I could go through with it. And in that moment, like the most demonic, evil weight around me, and thank God, though I was not a follower of Jesus, he spared me that night, and then spiraled into dysfunctional alcoholism when I found out about the affair, because it was just like, it was a house of cards, it was all built on like, passion, lust, greed, materialism, status, and as soon as one part got removed, it crumbled, and the Lord turned me over to my sin, and there I am, living on a couch. I went from like townhouse in the Arboretum, lake property in Austin, Texas, to now sleeping on a fraternity brother's couch, with a, having had a gun to my head. I stopped going into work, dysfunctional alcoholism. I had three doctors tell me, if you keep drinking like this, you are going to die in a family intervention. And I remembered the words. Sin leads to death. It just had a 12-year fuse in my case. From 18 to 30, sin absolutely led to death. It led to relational death, physical death as my body was shutting down, spiritual death as I, I hated God, I mocked God. I was a deist. I'm like, you might exist, but you have nothing to do with me. I get the girl, I get the money, I get the job, I, I kill the interview. It's me. You're not doing anything. If anything, you're a cosmic buzzkill. 
It's me. But sin led to death. There I am with a gun to my head. Sin leads to death. And you don't get to determine when it will lead you to the face of death as we toy and tangle with it. And the other thing that I heard, there's freedom in Christ. Well, I didn't want freedom in Christ until I fully knew and recognized that I was a slave to sin. And so there I am at the age of 30, doctors telling me that I'm dying of alcoholism, my family doing an intervention. Like my brother flew, I was drinking with homeless guys in downtown Austin. My brother finds out, flies to Austin, one-way ticket, puts me in my own car, drives me back to Dallas. My family's like, hey, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting us, you're not going to continue on. And then was like, oh, freedom in Christ. I am desperate to be free. I didn't want freedom because I didn't know I was a slave to sin, which is what the Bible says, that apart from Jesus, prior to trusting in Christ, we are slaves to sin, that's Romans chapter 6, and that we are slaves to Satan, which is 2 Timothy chapter 2. Some of the most terrifying verses in Scripture. Slaves to sin and Satan. And there beside that couch, I got on my knees. I got on my knees and surrendered to Jesus. And, and here's what I prayed. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. Beside that couch, after an AA meeting, I prayed, Lord, I've squandered everything you have given me, but whatever I have left, it's yours. You get my body, my mind, my money, my relationships, my job, my phone, my computer, wherever I live, whatever I do, everything is yours. Save me. And y'all, like, I went, <laughs> I grew up in this culture. I grew up in Springfield, Missouri. Are you kidding me? Like, home of church, the Bible Belt, not just cashew chicken, Bass Pro, but like, in Mexican Villa, P.S. But like, I grew up just swirling in Christianity. So I had heard people say, like, are you a born again Christian? And I'm like, why do people say that stupid phrase? Why do they say, besides just Christian, are you a born-again Christian? Like, are you extra religious? Why did you say that? And at 30 years old, having trusted in Jesus, literally was like, oh, this is what they always meant. It's like life snapped into focus. And I knew all of life was to know him and make him known. And the rest is details. And he took me from despair to joy, from suicide and manic to having purpose, from like insomniac, stopped eating, just like a wretch to be around, to having joy and full of songs and worship, just as the worship band just let us in. Like all of that changed as I was born again, and yet still wrestled with sin. And somewhere along the way, we stop wrestling, don't we? We think, well, I trusted in Jesus for my salvation, my justification to be made right with God, but my sanctification from being born again till I get my home with the Lord, like I'm just going to work that on my own. I'm going to follow my rules. I'm going to try to be a good person. And the Bible says nothing about that. It says the opposite. It says that if we trust in Jesus, that was a work of the Spirit, that we're indwelt by the Spirit, sealed by the Spirit. It's how we're born again. 
now as a temple of the Holy Spirit. But then he says, we, we continue in our sanctification, our growing into the image of Christ by the Spirit, not by following a bunch of rules. Which is what I got so tripped up on as a kid and a teen in this town. I, I heard as a kid, like, if you don't want to go to hell when you die, trust in Jesus. And I'm like, well, who wants to go to hell when they die? So I'll, sure, Jesus, save me from my sins. And then I thought, and now I have to follow all of your rules. And I couldn't. I couldn't follow them. Porn, masturbation, alcohol, weed, girls, status, materialism, greed, lust, all of it. I couldn't follow the rules. And what scripture says is, you can't. But he can. You have no ability to kill sin. And you have sin. 1 John 1.8, I heard Josiah talk about it last night. The secret in life is to not have secrets. Like we all have sin. We just aren't talking about them, and so they're poisoning us from within. But it says in 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, if we say I don't have sin, the truth is not in us, and we deceive ourselves. 1 John 1.8. And so if everybody does, why are we not talking about it? Because of shame, because of Satan's condemnation, not because of the condemnation that's found in the body of Christ. There is none. If, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is no condemnation. You can't follow those rules. It says in, well, let's go here. First, Proverbs 28, 13. It says, if we conceal our sins, if we hide them, we will not prosper. Meaning you won't advance. You won't progress. You're just stuck. And the more you try to get out, the deeper you're going to get. You just can't. The answer is, but whoever confesses and renounces, confession and repentance, will find mercy. Mercy is a word for not, desert, not getting what we deserve. God extends mercy. It says otherwise in 1 Peter and in James, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And it requires humility to share your sin. Not just as you trust in Jesus, but on this side as you walk with Jesus. It's James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It says in Romans 8.13, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, I lived according to the flesh from 13 to 30. I mean, I went headlong. I followed the flesh. Whatever I wanted, I mean, I didn't withhold myself from anything. The strip clubs, making out with the prostitute, whatever. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. And there I am, dying in my sin. It says, but if by the Spirit, not by me, not by my effort, not even by following the rules, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. You have no ability to put to death sin. Y'all, listen. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the sin killer. He is the sin killer. It's his job. He lives to do it. I think in this Christian culture, we get so stuck on what is called the positive work of the Holy Spirit. It's Galatians 5, and we should be stuck on it. It's the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. We've all got it memorized. That's the fruit that he bears in you. 
But I was reading this great theologian, John Owen, once, and he said the negative work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, negative work of the Holy Spirit? Like, that's heresy. How has this guy been in print for 400 years? He should have been burned at the stake. Like, what are you, the negative work of the Holy Spirit, what are you talking about? And I read on. He says, that's the positive work, to bear fruit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit. But his other job, 50% of his job, well, it's 100% and 100%, but the other side of his job is to kill sin. That's what he does. It's what he lives to do if you ask This, the fruit he will bear as you abide in him. You're walking with Jesus. He's going to bear the fruit. And then as you ask, spirit, I've got sin. He's like, it's all you have to do. I'm on it. I kill it. He lives to kill sin in you. It's the negative work of the Holy Spirit that he is the sin killer. And so we invite him in the fight. Like 1980s, WWF, tap the big guy in the corner. He jumps in the ring and takes care of everything. It's what he does. It's what he lives to do. We just only need to invite him. So I walk into this AA meeting once. And in this AA meeting, it was my very first time, and they said, who wants to commit to staying sober for, the, for 24 hours, for the next 24 hours? And y'all, it was like heart beating out of my chest. One of those moments where you like, I mean, it was like the spirit was compelling me to stand. And so I walk forward so ashamed, like, how did I get here? Like God gave me a a golden ticket in life, like two good parents, raised in a church, he gave me a good mind, put me in a good school. God, like, how am I walking into an AA meeting? And you guys know how, we've already established that. But there I am and I walk forward and the guy says, so do you wanna quit drinking? He changed the question. I'm like, dude, I said, no, no, you didn't ask that. But I know if I don't stop, I'm sitting on a time bomb. And I think he realized he had switched the question. He was like, oh, oh, yeah, uh, sorry about that. Um, will you commit to staying sober for 24 hours? I'm like, thank you. That was the question. Yes. And I walk back to my seat. And I'm sitting there in this, like, smoky AA room. And I'm like, this is so stupid. This is so stupid. I'm never coming back here ever again. What are we doing? We're sitting around in a circle telling people our old war stories about drinking, and I'm committing to staying sober for one day? Are you kidding me? I need a lifetime of help. What's one day going to do? So I'm not going to drink on Monday, December 22nd. I don't care. I'm dying. I need help. And this guy walks up to me after the meeting as I'm like, I'm so out, never coming back. This guy walks up to me. He's like, hey. So you said you want to stay sober for 24 hours? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, if you do, you're going to need some help. And I'm like, oh, great. Like, what, what in the world? Like, big goatee, looked like the big Lebowski. I'm like, of all the people, of all the people to t- come and talk to me. And he, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like so judging him. In my, I'm out, there I am, an alcoholic. And he says, well, if you want to commit to staying sober for the next 24 hours, do it by God's strength. I was like, okay. He's like, so pray and ask God to help you. Great. He's like, what time is it? I'm like, dude, you don't even know what time it is. You're the one helping me? I'm like, it's six. He's like, great. Set an alarm on your phone. Call me tomorrow at six and let me, stay, let me know if you stayed sober. All right. Get out. Go to Jim's 24-hour diner. And I'm sitting there, and my phone's going off. Hey, let's go down to 4th Street. Let's hit the pubs. Let's go out. I'm like, no, 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 no. 
I don't drink that night. I ask God, maybe through this like pitiful, like just kind of like, Lord, keep me sober. There at Jim's diner. Rolls around six o'clock the next day. Hey, Charlie. Hey, how you doing? I'm all right. Did you stay sober? Yeah. So you didn't drink? Right. That's what that means. Was it about God's strength? I don't know, man. Did you pray? Yes. Okay, great. Then it was about God's strength. Do you want to go in over the 24 hours? I'm like, dude, hey, um, look, Charlie, I know you mean well. I need help. I need serious help. I don't need a day. I don't need 48 hours. I need a lifetime of help. Like, I need something bigger and better. Like, I've gone a week, Charlie. I even went a month once. One time when my family came down hard on me, even my drinking friends were saying I was drinking too much. I went a month without drinking. So I need something more than just the next day, Charlie. (laughs) And he goes, uh, yeah. Will you commit to staying sober for the next 24 hours by God's strength? And I'm like, fine. Hang up. We actually, no one hangs up phones anymore. I push it. <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, go get on your knees and ask God to keep you sober for the next 24 hours. And I did. I begged with God to keep me sober for the next 24 hours. Now, I'm not bringing you some AA syncretistic Christian life hack Because all truth is God's truth. And what he was teaching me, I found in the pages of these scriptures. And what I found was, is that Jesus, when they said, hey, teach us how to pray, he said, okay, ask for daily bread. Not annual bread, not lifetime bread, daily bread. Why? Because he wants us to stay dependent upon the Lord every single day. Because like me as a kid, I was like, fine, I trust you with Jesus, forgiveness of sins, I won't go to hell, and then I go off on my own. By myself, in my own strength, trying to do the best I can, failing and failing and failing. He's like, no, no, I saved you once and for all, and I keep you safe every single day. Walk with me daily. I'm going to give you daily bread, and I'll see you again tomorrow. And then you're going to get hungry. I'm going to give you daily bread. It's exactly what it did in the Old Testament with manna. He's like, here's enough for today. See you tomorrow. Here's enough for today. What if I gather more than enough? It's going to rot because I want you and me walking through this daily. It's Galatians 5.16. Check this out. Paul writes to a bunch of rule followers. They trusted in Jesus for salvation, and then they wanted to follow the rules. He said, no. I say Walk by the Spirit. The Greek verb there is an ongoing, present tense, continuous, meaning all day, every day, you just walk with me. That's our command. That's the only thing. Walk with God. But, but it has a promise. There's a promise attached to it. It says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You walk with me, you won't do what you don't want to do. And I guarantee you it's the case. I'm I'm almost 16 years sober as a testimony to it. Like, if I go home with you tonight with a guy, let's say, just for super clarity. If I go home with one of you dudes and you pull up Instagram and I'm like, or TikTok, I'm like sitting beside you, I'm like, hey, what are you looking at? And the girl's not dressed too modestly. 
You'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 sorry, man, sorry. And then we like, you know, go to your bedroom, and there I am, like, snuggled up beside you, and you're like, ah, man, I'll, I'll probably just pull up my laptop one more. I'll just kind of veg out to Netflix, scroll, scroll. I see the little tagline at the top that says mature, violence, nudity. Kind of look at you. You look at me. You're like, yeah, I probably shouldn't shut it down. Like, if I was with you, you probably wouldn't be inclined to give yourself over to a particular sin, you know, to send the text late night to that girl, to spend a little longer in the shower than you ought to, or one of you girls to, to throw up after you eat, to spend more time changing your outfit for the third or fourth time because of the body image struggle, whatever it may be, the weed, the pills, the social media comparison, whatever it is that's your thing, If I was with you, you probably wouldn't. It's what God says, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift, the free gift of God is eternal life. This messed me up when I was a kid. I thought eternal life was just heaven when you die. Eternal life is the full abundant life that Jesus promises now and forevermore. Not just when you die. That you're not better in this life. He makes you new. That he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's the eternal life that he gives to you in the here and now. Not just when you die. And here we are like trifling with these sins, looking for the momentary pleasures that Matt just talked about that we all know, we've all got our flavor. And we're like, maybe this will give me a little more life. Maybe it'll give me a little numbing, a little escape, a little relief, a little coping mechanism, a little relief from my anxiety or my insecurity or my loneliness. And he says, no, find it in me. The free gift of God is eternal life. Where, where, many paths up the mountain? I mean, Allah, Vishnu, Buddhism, no. Free gift of God is eternal life in, in, found in and only in Jesus Christ, meaning the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who was prophesied to come, who died on the cross, rose again, the Christ, and not a la carte Christianity. He is your Savior. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The word Lord means master. I wanted him to be my Savior, I don't want to go to hell when I die. I didn't want him to be Lord. I'll be Lord. I'll call the shots. I want to do what I want to do. You can keep me out of hell, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Until that moment of like surrender. I was like, okay, I'm a really bad Lord of my life. You be Lord of my life. And set my life on a totally new trajectory. Y'all, I literally drank away my 20s. They're gone. Arguably the most influential decade of your life. Gone. Because of the sin that I loved. And I'm not the only one. And I know for a fact, and I don't say this in condemnation, I say this to implore you to find the freedom in Jesus. Not just that he saved you, but that he keeps you safe and gives you that full abundant life tonight. Because we all walk through these doors with something, something that we keep going back to, even though we hate it, but we kind of love it, otherwise we wouldn't go back. And he's got freedom from you. 
And so here's what I learned from AA that I found again in the scriptures. It's confession of sin is good, but it's already happened. Like that's James 5.16, confess your sins and pray for each other so that you may be healed, but it's already occurred. What if instead of a reactive confession, we made a proactive decision? What if we said, for the next 24 hours, by God's strength, not my own strength, I commit to not giving in to X, Y, or Z, whatever my thing is, and I'm going to text or talk to one of my friends the next day to follow up. And you say, man, that's that AA thing. No, it's that Bible thing. In Hebrews 3.13, it says, encourage one another daily so that, why? Why should we encourage another daily? Isn't Sunday enough? Isn't women's Bible study on Wednesday enough? No. Encourage one another daily, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so that, listen, so that you will not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Meaning, if you don't find encouragement from your Christian brothers and sisters every single day, your default setting of the flesh is to become hardened and deceived by sin. And so daily bread, bring God into the fight, and follow up with a friend the next day. It's, it's just this. If you want to remember it or take notes in that great journal they gave you, it's act. A, ask God. This is Romans 8.13. You're bringing God into the fight. You're asking him to help you. I have no power over sin. You have all power over sin. My willpower is not greater than sin's power, but the Spirit's power kills sin's power. So I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask you for help. C, I'm going to commit by God's strength to not give in to my thing for the next 24 hours. Y'all, I serve at a recovery ministry where every struggle under the sun is represented. And people will meet with me. They'll be like, man, you're free from alcoholism. How'd you do it? And I'm like, well, let me ask you a question. Could you quit, you know, looking at porn and masturbation for the, for the rest of your life? And by the way, for you girls in the audience, well, let me say it to everybody. A lot of people think, well, that's a guy's struggle. No, it's a, it's a people's struggle. Many women in the audience tonight are struggling with porn and or masturbation. Many men in the audience, statistically, it's two-thirds of guys and one out of four girls. It's one out of seven senior pastors. That's terrifying. Well, it's terrifying that all of us would give it up. But anyway, you commit to not giving in. I say, could you quit for the rest of your life? And they're like, man, I wish, but no, I don't think so. I'm like, I know, me either. Hey, could you, could you go 24 hours without doing your thing by God's strength? I've never had, well, I've had two people say no, but they just came back with, I could go 12 hours. I'm like, great. Let's go 12 hours. Let's go 24 hours and make that proactive decision and then set an alarm on your phone and follow up with me the next day and let me know how you did because then you've brought the spirit into the fight, you've brought your brother or sister into the fight and you've made a proactive decision. Y'all, we can do it by daily bread. Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness today. And that's how we walk through the rest of life. You see, I, you remember that penny I gave you that I talked about? The penny from, you know, the kind of insignificant but really significant Jeff Bezos penny and how it has a mark of authenticity? I, uh, when Charlie asked me to stay sober that first 24 hours, I'm like, Charlie, that is so insignificant. 
and worthless. One day? Are you kidding me, Charlie? One day? You, oh, oh, 48 hours? 48 hours. That's great. That's, that's really helpful, Charlie. How long are we going to do this? 72 hours. We're gonna, are we going to do it for three days? Are we going to do it for a week, Charlie? How is this going to help me? And then I went a month. I was like, wow, that was easier than the month that I quit when my family got mad at me because I was doing it by God's strength. And then I went for a quarter, three months. I had not been three months sober since I graduated from Kickapoo. At the age of 18, I'm now 30, and I was three months sober. And for the last 15 and a half years, I've been getting on my knees every single day. Every single day, I get on my knees for the last 16 years and I surrender my day to the Lord because he not only saved me, he keeps me safe. I wanna tell you something else about this penny. You know who's on this penny? Lincoln. What did Lincoln do that was pretty significant? He wrote the Emancipation Proclamation which said all slaves are free. Set free the slaves. At the top of the penny, it says, in God we trust. And then unique to this little coin, right beside Lincoln, it says, liberty. In Romans chapter six, we have our emancipation proclamation. In Romans chapter six, it says that we were slaves to sin, slaves to unrighteousness, but that we have been crucified with Christ buried with him in baptism, and raised again to walk in newness of life. The emancipation proclamation of the slavery to sin and Satan is right there in Romans 6. In Galatians 5.1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And do not therefore submit yourselves again to a yoke of slavery. And the slavery that he's talking about there is slavery to the law, saying, I know better. I know better. Of course you know better but you don't have the power. You don't have the power. God alone has the power. And so the top of that coin where it says, in God we trust, I won't trust in my strength anymore. I have no power over sin. You have all power over sin. And I know that you came, that I might have liberty, that full abundant life. You're the one who set the slaves free. I was reading Romans chapter six one night in my office. And it's like the Lord just like hit me with some words. Because this chapter has been so pivotal in my life because I was so enslaved to my sin. And he gave me these words as a response to Satan of like, man, I used, I used to own you. You were mine and I'll still call you and command you to do what I say through the flesh and temptation and culture. You say that I'm a slave, Satan? Yeah, you used to own me. Tease, puppet, and control me. You promised to spoil me rotten, but seems like rotten's all I've gotten. Far worse by your curse, not a limo, but a hearse. But I tried and imbibed and relied on a feeling like a junkie needing more, getting high and then reeling. 
Your lives were crafty and always sounded brand new. Even though time and time again I swore I was through. It was like daily amnesia. And sweet poison was your feature. Like a caged, abused beast, always promising the feast. You kept me hungry and longing for more. <clears throat> but you never, <coughs> oh my goodness, y'all. I just breathed smoke <coughs> or something. Throw me a water. If you would, Josiah, it's about to hit me in the face. It's the worst time to get choked in the middle of a spoken word. Like a caged, abused beast, always promising the feast. You kept me hungry and longing for more, but you never loved me. I was only your whore. And so you fed me and misled me just enough to keep me loyal, making me think that somehow, someday, through all my inner toil, I could be freed from this disaster, you cruel, addicting master. But while you were sleeping, another came knocking, and he grabbed me by my life with all his crazy talking. He said that as a slave, there's only one way out, and that his way, the only way, was not a safe or easy route. His solution was to die, my heart pounding through my chest. I thought he came to rescue, but his answer was straight, death. Then this man, like a father, smiled as he said, you'll no longer be a slave when your old master finds you dead. Then he took me in his arms, laid me down into the deep, spiritually suffocating. I tried to wrestle, but he would keep holding me under until I gave in. It was necessary for this slave of sin to give up my last breath until he verified my death. It was silent. Then alive and new, his breath from my lungs, the curse had left. My old master had no power. It was no longer his hour. He still tried calling, but I didn't have to listen because now I had a new mind and I had a new mission. It was all about my king. I was rescued and redeemed. This couldn't happen on my own or by following some rules. It demanded a savior, not the counsel of fools. It required his death and mine as well. But it didn't stop there. Now I live to tell that he rose again and thus so did I. He made me new, never again will I die. My old master won't quit and still tempts me with thrill, but now I hate him, because I know his intent is to kill. Now I won't go back to the patterns of old. I am a new slave, redeemed, I'm sold. I have a new master, one Christ, one Lord. Now to him I cry out when hungry, tired, or bored. You say that I'm a slave? Indeed, his solely. And this slave is now free, and the result will be holy. My new master is good, loving, and just. His life leads to peace, if only your trust. In his life and death and rising again, he took your place and nailed all your sin to the cross and disarmed the enemy. He is the way, truth, and life eternally. So from one slave to another, won't you come and see my Jesus breaks chains and sets the slaves free? Y'all, there's pennies up on the stage, and the pennies are for you. And when you're ready to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that you might be born again, I place my faith in you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Come forward and get one. And for the rest of you who've already trusted in Jesus, but you're still in that daily wrestle with sin, which P.S. means every single soul here. Mine is to not be short and sharp with my kids today. When you're ready, come forward. Get one of these pennies. The band is just going to like play over you as you meet with God. And y'all, if you're able, God made us body, mind, and soul all intertwined. It's a humble position to kneel. 
In the scriptures, you see people kneeling before kings. I'd encourage you to get one of these pennies, kneel before God, ask him for help. Commit to not giving into your thing for the next 24 hours. It may be as small and lethal as self-righteousness, thinking like, I don't need that. Jesus says, woe to you, Pharisee. The one who humbles himself goes away justified. But whatever it is, and then set an alarm on your phone for 8.30 and talk to another person beside you and say, hey, I'm committing to not giving in to X, Y, or Z for the next 24 hours. Let me have your number. I'm gonna text you. I'm gonna follow up with you the next day. And everybody's gonna do it with each other. We're gonna pray for each other. And guess what? Repentance is the root of revival. Repentance is the root of revival in you and as you become y'all, do God is gonna do crazy things in this college town with all these young adults as revival breaks out. First in you and then throughout the world. Let me pray.